you'll take your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, that's not where we're going to be, uh, but I will use that, I will use that for an introduction, Philippians chapter 4, and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you so much for the sufficiency of your scripture. And we thank you that you promised that uh, your spirit would, would teach us, would illuminate us. And, and we would ask that uh, the texts that we look at that are familiar, that uh, they wouldn't lose their power upon us because of familiarity. And so, Lord, just uh, we commit ourselves to you. May you meet us at our point of need. And for those who may hear outside of the, this building, uh, we ask your blessings upon them as well. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. I was watching an interview uh, of a family in Israel that uh, they had some of their loved ones were still being held in Gaza. And the mother, they were talking, and she said that the anxiety and the turmoil of the psychological warfare of that, as they were letting out X number of hostages, they didn't know who. And so it was, uh, and I kept, I thought about that, and she mentioned, you know, just that the anxiety and the turmoil. And some of the people that I talk to and people that uh, we all encounter, uh, even ourselves, is that this issue that Paul would address in Philippians chapter 4, anxiety is a real, is a real issue. So I wanted to address that tonight uh, from, uh, from the gospel account of Matthew chapter 6 as well as John chapter 14. Uh, anxiety. Uh, if I was to ask you, have any of you experienced any periods of anxiety this week? You all would probably say yes. Uh, now, there will likely be different levels of it, uh, dependent upon different things. Um, but we all know that the beast of anxiety is real. Uh, it is painful. It is distracting. Uh, it feels oftentimes, I know when, it, it, when that beast visits me, it feels like there's a heavy blanket laying upon you that you can't get off. And, and so it can be very paralyzing and really affect the quality of our lives. And that picture of that family uh, has really Im embedded in there because there's a lot of people that way. And no, they don't have their family members held in hostage uh, by, by terrorists. But nevertheless, there's not a, uh, a house in your neighborhood that's not experienced some type of turmoil, some type of anxiety that's causing them to stay awake at night. It'll be heightened this time of the year as we come about uh, Christmas. There'll be those who will be uh, off the scale with a nostalgia and the Hallmark type of feeling. And, and they'll be singing and they'll be very happy. And there will be those who will be extremely lonely. And those who also will be experiencing the anxiety of the season. So what I want to do uh, in our time tonight, and I won't be lengthy, is we want to look at three things about anxiety. Uh, one, the causes of anxiety. Uh, secondly, the consequences of anxiety. And thirdly, uh, how do we combat anxiety? What are ways that we can deal well, with anxiety? Well, the causes of anxiety, as you'll note uh, on uh, your outline, I didn't give you any. 
um, and that was by design, is because we all can fill out that list. Every one of us have these different... Um, I'm going to give you a couple uh, just from uh, personal experience as well as from some of the people that I talk to and a lot of different people I talk to. But I think it's, 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 it's important to identify what it is because oftentimes, like depression, anxiety can just feel like some vague something over you and you're not really able to, to define it or to pinpoint it. Jay Adams has said, quote, the word refers to a general feeling of tension and concern that something fearful may happen. Note the word fearful. It is an apprehension which triggers a dread of something that seems to be impending, end quote. It's a feeling of worry, of nervousness, of uneasiness about an event or something happening with an uncertain outcome. And when you start thinking about anxiety, uh, it has a lot of family members. It has such as uh, worry, stress, fear is the dominant one. Fear is the one that is the fuel of anxiety. And I'm just going to give you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I'm just going to rattle them off. Here's eight, here's eight fears that are very real. Uh, maybe these don't apply to you, but uh, uh, I'm sure some of them do. And you'll be able to fill out your own after this. One, the fear of dying. That causes anxiety. Secondly, the fear of financial insecurity. That causes anxiety. The fear of our children not turning out right. The fear of circumstances. The fear of spiders. I, I didn't get that one. Uh, uh, the fear of snakes. And then how about this one? The fear of elevators. You can laugh about that one because that's one of mine. I won't ride an elevator unless there's somebody with me. And my wife, uh, I want her to ride that thing with me. So when I go visit, when I go visit a hospital or I go to visit someone with one, I look, first thing I look for is the steps. You know, and then I can't find them, the dreaded thought of riding that elevator by myself. So it's a very real fear uh, for me. Um, the fear of speaking in public. Some people have that too. And you may find this hard to believe, but that terrified me at one time. Um, fear of people. That's another fear that causes anxiety and fear of failure. So you'll see how fear is a very real um, mobilizer of anxiety in so many ways. And when you think about the fear of, uh, of all those different things that causes anxiety, where did it come from? Well, we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden was the, very, was the cause of all this. When sin entered to the world, uh, the very first thing that Adam would acknowledge before God is that he was afraid, that he was fearful, that he was even full of anxiety or turmoil because of what sin had done in the relationship. Now, in a fearful and anxious world in which we live, uh, Christians are not immune. And I think Christians nowadays, we need to be able to talk candidly and openly about things like depression. We need to be able to talk about anxiety. We need to be able to talk about these things that we're all suffering from. We need to not just be able to walk in on a Sunday morning and say, well, how are you? I'm okay. And you're really not okay. We need to be able to have those type of transparency in our relationships that allow that to occur. But I want to show you just how powerful this, this thing called anxiety driven by fear can really be. Look at Proverbs chapter 22 for a moment. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 13. 
I probably should have just read that to you. But um, Proverbs twenty two thirteen. This is what Solomon would write. The sluggard says, "There is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets." What is what is happening in the in this fearful man? Well, one, he's inside. He's inside. And so he's obviously full of fear. He says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. He doesn't see a lion. Charles Bridges, one of the great commentators of another era, uh, he wrote about this verse. And he said, what is being portrayed here is an imaginary fear that is causing the individual to be paralyzed. It is an imaginary fear that is causing the, the individual to be paralyzed. Is it, there's no lion outside. He's imagining that there is, so he's afraid to act on what is out there that isn't real. And that in itself is a, is a lot of what's behind anxiety. There is a lot of imaginary fears, a ton of what-ifs that will paralyze us, even to the point, in this case, this man doesn't even want to go outside his house. And it can be that paralyzing, it can be that gripping that it will keep you in that in those change, in that bondage. And more often than not, what we fear and the what is are really not realistic. And they're not going to happen. So the, cause, the causes of those are many. Ultimately, it was the fall in the Garden of Eden that brought about the, the tension, the unhealthy fear within us that caused us to be separated from the one who could say and calm all anxieties, fear not, it is I. But let's move on to the consequences. So what happens? What happens uh, if, if we allow the beast of anxiety. Now, I want to be sensitive because I know, I know what this is like. I'm not going to use myself as a lot of examples, but I know what it's like uh, to go through this, and I know that these are very real consequences. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 6. This is, the, uh, this is the definitive passage in the Sermon on the Mount on anxiety. It is the longest passage in the Sermon on the Mount that deals with this specific topic. And Jesus himself would uh, say some pretty hard-hitting things about anxiety. And the reason why I think that is so and so relevant for today is because the world that we live in, even our country now that is unraveling, it's a very fearful place, is that the effective Christian who is able to combat anxiety is going to provide a very uh, strong beacon of hope to those out there who are full of anxiety is that we have the answer on how not to fall prey to it. And we can go to our neighbors, we can go to our friends, and we can go to the people that we love, and we can say, listen, we don't have to be enslaved to this because of this. We just have to do battle with it. But I will say this, there is no eradication of this. This is a battle that we will fight, some people more than others. Some people that, uh, you know, my younger brother, it used to aggravate me to no end. This guy had, did not have a care in, his, in the world. He, nothing worried at him at all. Even when he was married, he had a little kid. Nothing. He was, I used to get so aggravated because he never worried about anything. And, you know, our school bus would stop by in front of our house and pick us up to go to school. And the school bus would stop at 8 o'clock. And I would be the type of guy, I would get, have to get up at uh, 6.45 to get ready for the 8 o'clock bus. You know, I had to make sure everything was perfect, my shoes and everything was right. And my brother, I would, I would say, Mike, it's, it's 10 minutes to 8.00. Uh, the bus is coming in 10 minutes. The guy said, you got to get up. And he said, i got five more minutes. <laughs> and, and, and so he never did. So there are some people that this isn't an issue uh, per se that would go to the extreme of paralyzing you or, or affecting the quality of your life. 
but there are others who it does. And so one size doesn't fit all, but I can tell you that every one of us to a certain extent will face this. And how we, how we face it will determine on the level of our joy and the level of our effectiveness for the Lord Jesus. But let's take a look at the consequences. So if we give in to this, and, if, and I want to be sensitive to this, because what Jesus says is pretty, is, is pretty a hard pill to swallow when we see what the first consequence is. Verse 25 of Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The first consequence of allowing the beast of anxiety to rule us is, number one, it breaks fellowship with God. It breaks fellowship with God. And I didn't say relationship. It breaks fellowship. If anxiety rules us, that means joy isn't. And that means peace isn't. And that means irritability is. And we need to look at fact is what Jesus says this is. Three times in verse 25, verse 31, verse 34, the Lord Jesus gives the command, do not be anxious. I have a hard time at times because this is not him saying fight through this. He says don't be anxious. The creator has given us a clear command. That, and I understand there may be medical reason. I'm not here to talk about that. But in the general tenor of life is that anxiety in the eyes of the Lord Jesus, it is a breaking of a command. Now you say, well, that's kind of, well, that's by design too, obviously. Because when you understand that you're powerless within yourself to do anything about that, you've just put yourself in a position to know the power of God to overcome it. It's only when you come to the end of yourself and the total insufficiency within yourself are you able to obey the commands. And that applies to all commands. Is it not just this one? You know, the command, love one another. The command to uh, bear one another's burdens. All the commands of God are only done in the strength of grace. There is never a period that you are sufficient in yourself nor me sufficient in myself to obey the commands of God. We need the amazing grace of God to enable and empower obedience. And it's like that too here. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I've cherished iniquity in my heart, then the Lord would not have listened to me. And that doesn't mean cherish that you delight in this. Because if you're fighting anxiety, you don't like it at all. You want to be rid of it. And it's like that heavy blanket that I said earlier on. But we have to come to grips and, and, and name it for what it is. And what it is, it is an act of disobedience. 
that can only be, only be addressed and confronted by an aggressive obedience and an aggressive, confident faith, which we'll see later on. So the first thing that we see, the consequence, and I, I, know, when this is, I know when it's winning in my life. Because when it's winning my life, what I mentioned, gone is my peace, gone is my joy, gone is my energy, gone is all those different things that is promised to those who walk close to the Lord. Is it uh, in Daniel chapter 6, I said, it says, they that know their God will do mighty things. They will walk in the strength of the Lord. That's one of the, uh, the characteristics in Packer's book, Knowing God. He was said that's one of the qualities of an individual who knows God, is that they'll be walking with a boldness. They'll be walking with an energy. They'll be walking with a strength. And when you're in fellowship with God, you know that quite well. All of you have experienced the joy of the Lord being your strength in tough times. Uh, and that's what Nehemiah 8.10 would tell us. Is that don't be dismayed for the joy of the Lord is your strength. But if there's known disobedience, then the agent of joy, the Holy Spirit, he is grieved or, qu- or quenched. And as a result, you know, there's a, there's a standstill in the fellowship of the Lord. There's not a relationship break. That will never Praise God for that. But there is that ebbing and flowing of fellowship uh, that comes from uh, our disobedience. And in this case, the refusal, or I should say, what we would think is an inability, which it isn't, uh, to do battle against the beast of anxiety. Now, take a look at verse 25 and 30 and 31. Here's a second consequence of, of um, anxiety. Is it, it not only breaks fellowship with God, it fuels unbelief of God's faithful provision. It fuels unbelief of God's faithful provision. Jesus says in 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? In verse 30, If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? In verse 31, he would stress it again. What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Don't be anxious about these things. So the Lord really puts a, an emphasis on what we, what, about our daily, what we need to daily live, our substance, our, our, what we need to survive. Clothing, food, on this. I was reading somewhere and, and about this, and the author said, if you want to get a proper perspective... Take a walk and go sit down and watch a bunch of birds. He says, watch a bunch of birds. And he says, have you ever seen an anxious bird? And the answer is no. We've never seen an anxious. You've never seen a bird, you know, you know sitting on a wire, you know, with his beak just, I'm all nervous. It never happens. Why? Because, you know, they know that their Heavenly Father cares for them. And so it fuels unbelief of God's provision. We see in the Old Testament that this happened numerous times, that God's people were were fretting, they were nervous, they were even complaining about God's provision, and uh, he didn't take that very lightly. You can read Numbers 13, and you'll see what he thinks about those who complain about his provision. But in this case here, uh, anxiety will cause us to be awake at night wondering, you know, when's the next thing is going to happen? How's I going to provide for this? How am I going to provide for that? And the Lord says, why are you worried about those things? Why are you worried about those things? Here's a third thing. Look at verse 67. Here's a third um, a consequence of, of anxiety. It not only breaks fellowship with God, 
Uh, it will uh, fuel unbelief of his provision for. And, and I, I want to just one closing thought on that is when you think about unbelief of God's provision, is it when your kids come to you and you have promised to love them and you provide for them and you have provided for them and your kids begin to doubt that, isn't that a deep wound upon you? I mean, think about the wound that we give to the heart of God. I know we can't wound him per se, uh, but think of the displeasure of the one who has said that I gave my son for you and I freely give you all other things. If I've solved the biggest problem that you have with me, and that is your sin, do I, am I not able to provide for you even as I do the birds? All right, number three, here's the third uh, consequence of anxiety. It will intensify one's fear of death. It will intensify one's fear of death. Did you know that that's the power that the devil has over unsaved people? It's the fear of death. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14, we read, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he, Jesus, might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Unsaved people have this, this, this enslaved fear of death because they can't avoid it and they have no answer for it. Well, look what Jesus says in verse 27 of Matthew 6. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? The Lord himself is saying, uh, why are you worried? Can you, can, you, can you add another day to your life? Another year? I mean, Hezekiah, remember his, his he got an extra 15 years. It wasn't because uh, he did it. I, I saw something the other night, and it, it was like, really? This is kind of, this is kind of a world we live in. They were, they were advertising a medicine for dogs that was an anti-aging pill for a dog. My dog's 15 years old. And, you know, and so I told Joy, I said, hey, come on, get some pills for Jake. We can maybe jack his life up another five years with this medicine. But you know, that, it's, it's funny, but our culture is ob, ob, obsessed with maintaining youth, with maintaining those type of things. That people don't like getting old and people don't like to talk about death. But here's what Jesus says, if you're anxious... A lot of it could be the fact is you're fearful of dying. And that will only intensify your fear of death. And as I mentioned, this is for the unbeliever. Uh, it's enslaved to the devil. We have been freed from the fear of death. Why? Because of the one who we sing, up from the grave he arose. And the reason why that intensifies fear of death, because when we get anxious about that, uh, here's three things. Number one, we could be fearful of the way we will die. We may think, well, I, how am I going to die? You'd be, be afraid of how. Secondly, uh, your fear, you, you could be fearful. The anxiety is driving you to be fearful of death because what will happen to the loved ones if you do die? Who's going to care for them? And thirdly, it's the fear of the unknown. I mean, none of us are Lazarus. None of us died and came back, so we've never done this before. So that's the third consequence. If we're not careful, anxiety, because of thinking about life and death, um, we can intensify, have intensification of the fear of death. And then finally, look at verse 33. Here's another consequence of anxiety. 
It draws our hearts and minds off eternity. It draws our hearts and minds off eternity. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus is now um, providing a clear contrast. A clear contrast of us worrying and anxiety riddled over the things of the world. He says, no. Lay that stuff aside and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Worry about the main thing and these even secondary things, as he says here, will be added to you. And here's the problem, though, is anxiety, it, it's, it's horizontal. It's horizontal. Though it may cause us to be fear, uh, fearful of death, but for the most part, anxiety is rooted in, as I mentioned numerous times, the what-ifs and the circumstances of life. And so if you focus on those things it is a very fearful world, then you have every right to feel anxiety. But as a Christian, we don't. But I can see why my neighbors are anxious. Because they live for the horizontal. And the final example we have that is Peter walking on the water. We know that, and I won't read that, but we know what happened to Peter. He walked on the water, and he was fine. There was no fear. There was no anxiety as long as he kept his eyes on the Creator. But the minute he took his eyes off Jesus... We know what happened. He began to sink. And how marvelous of the Lord Jesus to reach down his hand and pick him up. So, All right, so then we looked at uh, the, the causes and the consequences. So how do, we, how do we do battle? How do we do battle against anxiety? Well, turn, turn your Bibles over to John 14. We're going to work our way through. We worked our way through Matthew 6. Let's work our way through John 14. And I want to give you... Four, four applications <coughs> from John 14. John 14, 1 through 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know that this is in the, uh, the, in the upper room discourse. There are some scholars who believe uh, John 14 starts that. There are others who believe that John 13 starts it. I'm in that camp, I think John 13, through up to the high priestly prayer. Uh, but at any rate, what we have here is the most intimate time that Jesus has with his disciples. Is that he is um, uh, going to bear his heart to them. And in turn, he exposes their heart. They're afraid. They are extremely afraid. Uh, John 13 starts out, it says, Jesus, knowing that his end was, his hour had come, that he was um, preparing to leave them. He says, I love them. He says he loved them to the end. And then he begins to wash their feet. He gives the great commandment or, or the new commandment to, to love one another. And then uh, John 14 unfolds. And what we see in John 14 is a bunch of a very anxiety-riddled disciples. They're fearful. He's going away. Uh, they can't go. And he, they're thinking, oh no. Now what? We have followed him for three years. Uh, he's going to go. He said he's going to be crucified. He's going to go away. What is going to happen to us? 
And so now they have this, this heart that is just overwhelmed with fear, which is the, uh, the close kin of anxiety, which fuels it. And so Jesus would give them some, some good, sound instruction. And I want to give you four from John 14, 1 through 6, which will uh, help us to do battle against a troubled heart, which is really a good definition of an anxious-filled heart. And the first one is simply this, is we saw that, that the, the consequence of anxiety is broken fellowship because it's disobedience. Jesus comes right out of the gate, and he doesn't say, I'll comfort you. He gives them a command not to be troubled. So as he told them in Matthew 6, don't be anxious, now he tells them, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. And, and the reason why he would say that is because there's a difference between anxiety, which is a subjective feeling or experience, and the only thing that will calm that down is objective truth applied to you. And Jesus is telling them objective truth to deal with their subjective experience. And oftentimes in Christianity, is we see all this stuff out there, it's all about the subjective experience at the expense of truth, and it never sticks because it can't stick. Whereas if you start with objective truth, it leads to true subjective experience. Hence the joy of the Lord. Hence the love of the Lord. Hence those affectional things that we're supposed to have from Him. But those always flow from objective truth. And so here he's telling them that if you're going to battle your, tr- your heart, if you're going to battle the anxiety and the fear that's in you, you've got to stop listening to your feelings, and you've got to start listening to, uh, to all the anxiety that's r- rattling you, and you simply got to obey. Now, I am not by any means, and I don't want anybody leaving here discouraged thinking, I just can't do this. I, I got that. Sometimes you feel like you can't. You feel like you're so discouraged or you're so depressed or you're so anxiety-ridden that someone's telling you to go and obey and you feel like you're told to run a 100-yard dash and you got a broken leg. I got that. It does feel that way. But let's remember who's saying this. And the one who says for us to do this is the one who has promised to empower us to do this. And so he says here, let not your hearts be troubled. Now the Apostle Paul He knew these experiences. He knew what it was like to be afraid. He knew what it was like to be riddled with anxiety. He would go through all the things that happened to him, all the shipwreck, all the sleepless nights, all the uh, without food, all those things. He said, and on account of all this, there's also the anxiety of the churches. So he had this too. And in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, would you think that Paul was anxious when he was given this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan? No doubt. He cried out, Lord, please take it away, take it away, take it away, take it away. I know the text says that he, he pleaded three times. Um, I think that's just there for emphasis that it was repeated. Uh, there was more than three times. There's no doubt. He, would, he was agonizing to get rid of this thing. And the Lord looked at him and said, no, I'm not going to do this. And he says, well, but, but, and the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. And then the text says, Paul says, I will boast in my weaknesses. Have you ever boasted in your anxiety? Have you ever thanked God for it? Have you ever looked up to heaven and said, I can't handle this, but I thank you that you've given this to me so that your power would be perfect in my weaknesses? That's what he said. 
He says, I, I want this out of me. If you take this away, I'll serve you better. But if you're not going to take it away and you said you're not, then please, I will boast in my weaknesses so that your power will be upon me. And you know what happens when, when, when we do that? And someone knows that we're battling these things. And someone says, how did you get through this? You're going to take zero credit for it because you can't. You're going to just be able to look around and say, it wasn't me. I'm a shell of a person. I can't handle any of this stuff. But I know one who's told me that if I rejoice in my weaknesses and I rejoice in my trials, then he has promised to empower me, and he has. And so the first thing that we get there, then, if we're going to overcome this, is simply don't try to analyze it and don't, don't listen to your feelings. Don't listen to your feelings Listen to the command of God, because if there's anything that's of value that you will hear tonight, it's simply this. Every command that God gives you to obey, He will give you the power to obey. Is that you cannot say, I can't. The Christian has no right to ever say, I can't. The Christian can say, I can't in the strength of myself, but you can't say, I can't. Because it just dismisses the powerful working of God in your life. Okay, so then we have here the first thing. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. There's the command. So obey Jesus' command not to give in to this. And then closely related, look at also in verse 1. He gives a second imperative. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And that ties in with this. Resolve to obey, but then fight vigorously your anxious feelings with confident faith, with confident faith. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, disciples. I know they are, but don't let them be. And then he says, and the reason why you can do that is by faith in me. He says, believe in God, believe in me. Now this word belief, this is not a belief of acknowledgement. This is a belief of reliance. There's a difference. There's a belief of reliance. Is that yes, they would acknowledge who he is, but it was also a, a belief of abandonment because they were not able to handle what they were going to do and what they were experiencing at that moment. So this, this becomes very important, what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says in his, his book, Spiritual Depression. It, it, um, it applies to anxiety as well, is that you must learn to talk to yourself and not listen to yourself. Now, when I first read that, I was thinking, what does that mean? Do you know the person that you talk to the most throughout the day is yourself? Your conversation is mostly with yourself. And in the very opening chapter of A Spiritual Depression by, by Jones, he would, um, he would write and he says the most important thing that you learn to do is to talk to yourself, not listen to yourself. And he would expound uh, Psalm 42, verse 5 and verse 11. He would say this of the, of the psalmist, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Or we could say, why are you in anxiety, O my soul, and why are you in anxious turmoil within me? Who's the psalmist talking to? He's talking to himself. And he says, hope in God. And Jones would go on as only he could with some very, uh, some, uh, some good language. He would say, you must learn to take control of yourself. He says, don't be controlled by yourself. Be con control yourself. Get a hold of yourself. Speak to yourself. When David was in great fear in Psalm 56, 
Verse 3, he says, when I am afraid, not if, when I am afraid, when I am anxious, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. Do you notice the transition? What made the difference? He says, when I am afraid, then he says, I shall not be afraid. Well, what happened in the middle? He says, I put my trust in you. Now, I, and that's not one of those, okay, I'm trusting you, Lord, and then uh, voila, it's all gone. That's not what that is. This is the daily fight of the Christian. This is the daily fight of the Christian, to tell yourself truth and fight down your anxiety by, uh, by attacking it with objective truth of who God says he is and what he has promised to do for you. Thirdly, verse 2 of John 14. Here's the third application. The first one, we must obey Jesus' command even if we don't feel like it. Number two, we must fight anxious feeling with objective truth or confident faith. Thirdly, focus on heaven and not circumstances prompting anxiety. Jesus would then, he would tell them first, don't be troubled. Then he would say, believe in me. And then he would add this, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Now think about that. He's getting ready to go. And they're afraid. But what's he say? He says, I've gone to prepare a place. And it's for you. So oftentimes, we get so rooted on the temporal, even as Christians, that we forget the eternal. That we forget our focus should be out of this world. And that our orientation is not here, it's there. And I, I get in all kinds of trouble, and we all do, when everything is about the, the horizontal. And when we lose sight of, the, of heaven, then we find ourselves falling prey to these mental anguishes of depression, of discouragement, of anxiety, and such. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we have a people that are going through grievous trials that would have included fear and all these various things we've talked about. And Peter writes to them, and notice what he says. Like Jesus, Jesus would, uh, I should say the psalmist, like David, he would acknowledge something, and, he, and then he would have the victory at the end, and he'd tell how it happened. Notice what Peter says. 1 Peter 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He is, he is pointing these suffering exiles of the dispersion. They are going through tough, tough trials. And the first thing He says is to start thinking where your life truly already is. Start thinking of heaven. According to the great hope. To an inheritance. Remember what Jesus said? I've gone to prepare a place for you. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, undefading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready revealed in the last time. Now, he doesn't, Peter is not, not insensitive to their trials. Like Jesus isn't insensitive to the disciples' troubled hearts. Peter says, in this you rejoice, what? In the fact that there is a place prepared for you, a place that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, because of the new birth. He says, in this you rejoice, though now, and here's a wonderful word, word, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, I would argue that anxiety in the life of a Christian is a tremendous trial. It is a tremendous trial. 
because it, it just it just so can consume you to where you'll lose all the joy of what it means to be a Christian. And it feels like you're walking around carrying a ball and chain. And there's no power. And he would say that you're being greeted now by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. What is he doing? He's pointing them away from the circumstances. He's pointing them into heaven and into the coming of Christ. And then the final thing, final thing. Well, no, I got two more. I'm sorry. Uh, number four, John 14, three. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. To do battle against anxiety, we must obey the command not to be anxious. We must fight anxious feelings with confident faith, telling us the truth and not listening to the lies of our anxiety. Thirdly, we must focus on heaven, not circumstances prompting anxiety. And fourthly, we must live in light of Christ's second coming. We must live in light of Christ's second coming. Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. When the Lord Jesus comes in the clouds and we're still here when he comes, whatever we were fretting over in this life will be small things. We won't even think about those things. So maybe we should learn not to put so much emphasis on those things now. Colossians 3 tells us that we're to set our, things, set our affections on things above, not on things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Hudson Taylor once said, since he may come any day, it is well to be ready every day. And finally, really, finally, this is the last one, is number five. In John 14, four through six. Now this is implied, but I want you to think about the whole of the upper room discourse. John 13 through 17. If you were to take John 13 through 17 and you were to come up with a dominant theme throughout that, it would have to be Jesus' desire for us to understand more of the, of the union we have with him. The union we have with him not only is our example of humble service in John 13, not only the union we have with him uh, in the, uh, John 14 when he tells us in verse 4 through 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, but our union in John 15 in the vine and branch branches and parable as well as in high priestly prayer of John 17. And so when Jesus says in John 6 of John 14 to these disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he would give them, he would give them some of the most encouraging truths to overcome their fears. And here they are. The first one is simply this, is that he is the way. He says, I am the way. What does that mean? That you're never without a leader. You're never without the shepherd of your soul. You're never without direction in your life. Secondly, he would say, I am the truth. What does that mean? That means that every promise he's given you to overcome your anxiety is for yours because he cannot lie. Is that he will be true to every promise that he's given you. And then finally, he says that I am the life. I am the life. What does that mean? 
That means everything that you need to overcome everything in life is found in the strength of you being infused or in the union which you have as him the vine and you the branches. And thus we can overcome any form of anxiety. So I hope it's helpful that we'll think about these things because the world is an anxious place. And what the world needs to see is Christians who are learning to do battle against it so we can provide the hope of the gospel uh, to the world out there that knows nothing about him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the great truths of your son. And, and we praise you that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we thank you that he gives us commands, but he also gives us the grace to obey them. And Lord, as we all face the battle of anxiety over various things in life, may you help us to see that it's not your will. Uh, that you've provided all we need in your son, your spirit, your word, that we would overcome. And may we learn to be overcomers, and may we help each other to overcome as we enter into those relationships of transparency and sharing, that as we all fight these same fights, and that we've learned to fight uh, successfully, that the world was, would see the reality of Christ in his church alive and helping us to uh, run the race that we might finish the course, finish the, uh, the good fight. And we thank you for today. We thank you for the beauty of the Lord's day. And may you be honored and pleased to bless us through the, the rest of this evening as well as tomorrow. For we pray in Christ's name, amen.